Now, the title for this morning's sermon is The Question. The Question. I don't know how many of you here have children. Anyone here has children? (laughs) Well, when kids are about one, they begin to babble a little bit, trying to imitate the words that you might say and imitate the words that other people say around them, and they try to form sentences that only their parents can understand. And, and so they have their own little way of speaking. But when they get to the developmental stage where they can speak on their own and form questions on their own, they often take time to ask, well, what is this? Well, this is a desk. What is that? That's the floor. What is that? That's a table. And they always ask, what? What? What is this? What is that? And parents who once were anxious to have their children start talking are often cringing and saying, why won't you stop talking? Because they want to ask, what? What is this? What is that? But more insidious than the question, what? Once they get to be two and a half and three and three and a half, they start asking, why? Why is the sky blue? Why is it that it's cold in the wintertime, but the sun is still shining? Why is it that we go to church on Saturday? Why is it that I don't get to go to school and other kids get to go to school? Why do bad things happen to people? What happens when my dog dies? Where did he go? Why is it that people can't stay around forever? Why do we have to say goodbye? And those why questions that children often ask are a lot harder than the what questions. And unfortunately, the why questions are questions that not are only asked by just three and four-year-olds, but often they're asked by 30, 40, 60, 70-year-olds. God, why is it that my wife had to die? Why is it that my child has cancer? Why is it that I lost my job? Why is it that I can't meet my bills and I've been a faithful tithe payer? Why is it that I'm getting persecuted for my beliefs? Why is it that every time I try to do the right thing, it seems like I get set back? Why is it that even though I follow you, God, I still feel like I'm fighting against everything in my life? Why? But today, as we look at these questions, I want to pose to you the fact that why is the wrong question. That's number one on your sheet. Why is the wrong question. As a matter of fact, if we look in the Bible, we should see that why really isn't a logical question for the disciples of Christ to ask. Because if we look in the teachings of Christ, we see that God has already answered that question long ago. If we turn to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to invite us to read together Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. 
And this comes at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus begins to talk about those people who will be blessed. And in verses 11 and 12, he throws in some strange blessings. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And as a matter of fact, later on in Matthew, in, verse, in chapter 24, God tells us things that are going to happen at the end of the age, and they're terrible things. They're tribulations. They're trials. They're all these violent things that happen to those who believe in God. And as a matter of fact, he says in Matthew 24, 22, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, do not believe him. And it says in verse 25, behold, I have told you in advance. He says, if you're a disciple, these are the things that you have to look forward to. These are the things that are going to happen. He doesn't say might happen. He doesn't say it's a possibility. He says that there are going to be a lot of things that are going to happen that you're not going to like. There are going to be things as a disciple that you're going to face that hurt you that make you feel awful. And that will make you want to ask the question why. But when we think about the discipleship journey that we have asked for, then our question should not be why, but it should be why not? Why shouldn't I expect these things to happen when Christ himself has told me that they would? Why wouldn't I expect life to be difficult? Because I know that I'm not of this world, but that I, am, I have something in me that is greater than what's in this world. How could I expect to be comfortable in a place that isn't my home anyway and that I'm only passing through? Why not expect to have things happen to me and have people insult me and have people persecute me if they did the very same thing to my God and I know that no servant is greater than his master. And so if I am a follower of Christ, my question shouldn't be why not, what shouldn't be why, but it should be why not? Why shouldn't I expect all these things? Because Christ has already told me that I should expect them in my life. But it's kind of crazy because even though we know that these things would happen, we still feel disappointed and even at times betrayed when things happen to us as believers. We say, God, why is it that you let this happen and I'm your servant? And we get angry and we get mad. We get defensive, and we even start to blame God and even turn away from him. In Matthew chapter 13, it tells us a story, and we're going to be here for a while, so I'm going to invite you to turn with me there so that we can read it together. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins to talk in parables to the people in the countryside. 
And it says that that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and he sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Verse 3 says, he spoke many things to them in parables, starting with this one. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the disciples who were listening, some of them scratched their heads and they said, what does this mean? What is going on? What is this parable? And how should we understand it? And Jesus gives them the explanation in verses 18 through 23. Verse 18 says, here then is the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the, sow, the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But verse 23 says, the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Jesus says that each one of us is some kind of soil. We were made from dirt and we still dirt. He says that we are all some sort of soil for his seed to be sown in. And each one of us who is here today is here because you have heard the word or you have a desire to know the word and you want to receive the word. And he says that there are different types of soil all around us. And you might be someone who wants to receive the word so badly and you know there's an evangelistic series, there's a tent, and you say, I want to follow Christ. And you get there and you get out and as soon as you walk out the door, is gone. But for some of us, it might last a little bit longer. It might last right up until we get the first paycheck after our baptism. Because that means that we got to pay our bills. We got to return a tithe. And we need to put in an offering, too. But when we're so used to already using 99% of our check, and then Jesus says he wants 10%, it 
and plus the sacrificial offering, it's easy to say, well, the worries of this world might just keep me from being a disciple of Christ. And it says also that there are some people that are good. They can sacrificially give. They can give what God has asked them to return. They can do the things that they need to do in church using their gifts kindly for God all the way until some persecution happens. Until somebody says to them they got to make a choice, either their job or their faith. Until somebody says, you know what, I don't like you talking about your Jesus all the time. You need to be quiet with all that mess. Until somebody says, you know what, baby, this relationship ain't going to work if you're trying to do this Jesus thing. Until somebody says, you know what, I don't know if I want to be around a person who's like you because you make me feel bad about what I'm doing. And when you have a choice to be made, as to whether or not you're going to do those things that God has asked you or do those things that make you popular with someone else. It's very easy for that seed that was sown in the ground you thought was good soil to be quickly snatched up by the cares of this world. It's also very easy when your mother dies, when your child gets sick, when your husband loses his job, when your wife is no longer being faithful. When you have issues with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your brother, with your sister, when you see that through no fault of your own, your mortgage is, has made you underwater. When it seems as if you are doing those things that God has asked you to do, you're being faithful and bad things still happen, it's easy to say, why are you doing this to me, God? I don't need to serve you anymore. And the seed that we thought was so deep gets snatched away. But the thing about this is that there should be no surprise in why bad things happen because we know they're going to happen. But also because the fact of the matter is that nobody has told you you have to be a Christian. Nobody's making you serve the Lord. Nobody says you have to be a disciple. If you say that you're going to be a disciple of Christ, then you got to be all in. You can't have step. You can't say that just when things get tough, I'm going to back down. If you're going to be a disciple, then be one. Because nobody has told you you have to do it, so if you say you're going to do it, then be committed. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this very same thing to people who are all around them, people who were up flattering him, inviting him to their house for dinner, making sure they hung on his every word. And Jesus said, you know what? It's not all about that. He had to teach them about what it really meant to be great. He had to teach them about what it meant to be a real servant. And he also had to teach them what discipleship meant. In Luke chapter 15, 14, starting with verse 25, it says, Now large crowds were going along, and 
he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. God says, you got to count the cost if you want to be my disciple. He says, I'm not making you choose me. It's of your own desire, of your own choice, of your own volition. Notice that in verses 25 and 26, he says, if anyone comes to me, if you have said, Christ, I'm going to follow you, you have said to Christ that you are willing to count the cost and do what he asks you to do. You don't got to sit up in church here. You don't. I'm sure there's a million different things you could do on a Saturday morning. You don't have to read your word. I'm sure there's a lot of interesting things to read on the internet. You don't have to say, I'm going to give 10% of my, of my income and a little bit more for my offering to my church. Because, hey, if you want to spend some money, there's a lot of ways to get rid of some money if it's burning a hole in your pocket that bad. But if you have said, I'm committed to being a follower of Christ, then that means you've counted it up. You said that it's worth spending my money for the cause of Christ, even when it's a sacrificial offering. It's worth my time, not just on Sabbaths, but when I'm called to do something in the church. It's worth my talents. It's worth my gifts. It's worth myself because I'm just returning back to God what he's already given me anyway. And so I've counted it that cost, and it's not that much for me to give. I can give my reputation. It's okay. I can give my relationships if they're not what God wants. It's all right. I'm willing to spend that cost. It's okay for me to give my life to God because he gave his life for me, and I could never repay it anyway. So that cost is nothing. But if you want to hold on to your money, you want to hold on to your time, you want to hold on to your reputation, you want to hold on to your connections, you want to hold on to your life, You are free to do that, but you can't do that and be a disciple. It's either one or the other. And when we say that I am willing to be a disciple, you have to realize, number two, we sign up. We're in it to win it. We're there all 100%. So when the trials come, 
It's not for me to say, God, why is this hard? Do you think that people who enlist in the army, when they get to boot camp, they're like, now, I thought that this was going to be easy. Now, I didn't know that I'm going to be climbing stuff and I'm going to have to be exercising my way through and I got to do these push-ups and when I get deployed. I didn't know people were going to be shooting at me. Are you kidding? I thought I was on a vacation. People don't do that when they sign up for the military. They understand. I signed up. I'm committed. I'm 100%. I'm in this. And when there are enemies coming towards me, that's an expectation. That's part of what it is that you sign up for. When things get rough, when it gets hot, when you are tired, when you are on the brink, on the edge, and you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, you can't say I'm going to quit. You can't be in Afghanistan being like, ah, oh, nah. Sorry, I, I need a one-way ticket. You know what, Sergeant? I just need you to um, get a book. I think there's a ticket on Delta that'll get me back home. So I don't, I don't want to do this anymore because I didn't know it was going to be like this. You signed up. And when things happen in our Christian walk, there's going to be enemies. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be a lot of trials that you never imagined. But that's not the time to say, I'm out. That's the time to say, I'm all in. And a lot of people might be saying, well, now, I don't get that. I thought that Christ said that we had life and more abundantly. That's why he came. I'm supposed to be having joy. I'm supposed to be having peace that passes all understanding. And that is part of it. That is part of it. But we live in this world. And until we get to heaven, that's why Revelation is so wonderful. Because in Revelation, we are told that we, he will wipe away every tear from our eye. We are told that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, none of that other stuff that makes this life so miserable. But that's then, not now. And while we are here, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So while we're here, there's going to be some rain. And that's the next part, number three, is that we all get rain. In Matthew chapter 7, we're told about how God treats each of us. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. And we're going to read verses 24 through 27. See, earlier in this whole discourse where Christ is teaching, earlier, in the, which is found in Matthew 5, he says to them that I want you to remember to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's an interesting passage because it says that the Father sends sunshine and rain to the evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous. But if I'm righteous, don't I deserve all sunshine? 
Why I got to have rain? That doesn't make any sense. But Jesus has told us that both the good and the bad get rain and sunshine. So don't be surprised when you say, now why is it that that person over there, they ain't even serving God and they're getting blessed. They get some sunshine too. It ain't going to be all rain. And why is it that how come when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, how come I'm getting all this rain? Because God says it comes to both. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something very interesting. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, anyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. See, Jesus does not say that you're not going to get any rain if you trust in him. You're going to get some sunshine, you're going to get some rain. Everybody gets some rain, righteous and unrighteous. But the difference, the difference comes when we look at what happens as the storms fall, as the rain comes. You might be saying, why should I serve the Lord if I get sunshine being unrighteous anyway. Why should I serve God if I can be prosperous without trusting in him? Why should I follow Christ if I could get the things that I want and be blessed even if I don't serve him? What's the benefit? What's in it for me? The difference comes when the storm comes. Because even though everybody gets some rain, if you are founded on the rock, then when the rains come, you're not going to fall under the weight of all the storms. See, if I don't have any sort of foundation, if I have nothing to anchor me, then when a trial or a tribulation comes my way, the only thing that I have to go back on is myself. The only thing that I can anchor myself in comes in a bottle or in a needle or in a powdered form. The only thing that I have when I don't have the rock is somebody else to find love in someone else's arms or to be where there's other people who want to use me and abuse me, but you know what? That's all I got. If I don't have the rock when the rains come, then I'm all kind of crazy. I don't have anything to anchor me. And I will find my anchor in alcohol, in drugs, 
in sex and gambling and pornography and all sorts of things that can make my house fall. Because I don't have anything else that I'm founded on. Christ says, yeah, there's going to be some rain. But the difference between those people who are founded on the sand and the people who are founded on the rock is that when the rains come, you ain't going to fall. And I know that there are people in here today who are going through some storms. You might have a health storm coming your way. You might have a financial storm that you're in the midst of. You might be right on the other side of a relationship storm. And you're saying, God, why am I in this mess? Why do I see this rain? Why are the winds blowing on me? Why do I have all this in my life? And God is saying, I never promised you all sunshine. But I promise you that I'm not going to let you fall. And so today, when we say that we are willing to be disciples, we got to expect the rain. But remember that we don't have to be on our own, loose like we're on the sand. And one of the blessings that we have, not only knowing that we'll be strong and sure throughout the storm, is that the storm will still work out for our good. It's very difficult sometimes. We say, it sounds like a cliche. In Romans 8, 28, it says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. And so a lot of us use that sort of cliche, yeah, yeah, everything's going to work out toward my good, but do we really mean it? Do we really believe it? Do we really trust that it will work out for our good? See, the thing about this is that we are told that there is sunshine and there's rain in everyone's life. And we get upset and we get distressed and we get mad at the rain. But the fact of the matter is that there is a purpose in rain. Those of y'all who have lived in California for enough of your life recognize that when you have all sunshine and there is no rain, things don't grow. You will have Beautiful, sunny days, but with no rain, you face a drought. And so even though you may not like it when it rains, you need the rain. And God has told us the very same thing. The reason why we both get sunshine and rain is because if there was only sunshine in our lives, we would not grow spiritually. There would be things that we would stay immature in our faith because we've never had any rain. And in James chapter 1, it tells us exactly that. James chapter 1, starting with verse 2, James says something very interesting to the disciples of Christ. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now this is crazy. I should, I should be joyful when there's trials? I should be joyful 
when there's storms, I should be happy when there's rain? And he says, yes, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can be incomplete Christians if we only have the joy and the sunshine in our lives all the time. Because if you always have a blessing, then you don't know what it's like to depend on God for something. A lot of us say we want the fruits of the Spirit. We want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want all those things. But you know what? In order to cultivate love, God's got to send you somebody who's unlovable so that you can learn how to love them. Because if you're around all kinds of nice people all the time, it's easy to love them. So God's got to put somebody in your life that you don't want to love to help cultivate the characteristic of love in your heart. He says, in order for you to experience pure joy, you need to be able to have joy even when there's sadness, to learn to be joyful. In order to have peace, how can I learn how to be peaceful if everything's always tranquil? If I want to have peace inside my heart, I need to have peace inside the storm. He says, you want patience? If you want patience, I'll give you something to be patient about. I'll give you something to wait for. I'll give you something that you're not going to get the second that you pray for it. I'm going to give you something that you're going to have to pray about and ask God for and plead for and get on your knees and actually petition the Lord and intercede for. And if you say that you want patience, you got to learn to wait. So how am I going to ask the Lord for patience? And then when I don't get something immediately, I get all mad. I get all upset. Say, God, why don't you give me this when I ask you for it? God, I want a husband. How come I don't have him? God, I want a car. How come I don't have it? God, I want a job. How come this person got a good job and I'm up here with a master's degree and I'm working minimum wage? He says, if you want patience, I'll give you patience. But it's not something that's just given. It's something that's cultivated. It's something that's grown. And the only way you can have something grow is if there's some rain. So if God is saying, I want to increase your faith, he has to give you some way to exercise that faith. I'm doing this exercise program. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It's called P90X. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's very interesting because there is some, it's, it's all based on muscle confusion. And so there's all these different exercises you do. Um, your arms one day, you do your abs the next day, you do your legs, you do plyometrics, you do cardio, you do all these different things to work out all these muscle groups. And I have learned that there are, I'm, I'm not necessarily the fittest person in the world, but I have learned that there are some things that I can do. There's some things that are very easy for me. It's fine. They, they talk about arms all day. All day I could do this. All day I could do this. Not even a problem. 
But when they're talking about doing abs, he's like, all right, do a, do a reach over sit up. I'm like, You know, we have to do this thing where you lay on the floor and you have to do a, it's kind of like a sit-up but on your side where you got to I'm like, I'm looking at these people on the video. I'm like, I don't think that's even humanly possible. <laughs> I think that's some CGI going on over there. That, that's, that's computer generated for real. I, I, didn't, I can't do that. And the first day, let me tell you, the, the DVD was watching me more than I was watching it. I was like, y'all go ahead. That's interesting. Oh, good for you. You could do that? Nice. And the thing about it is that it's easy for me to do those things and use those muscles that I'm used to using. But the ones that I'm not used to using are the ones that present the most difficult challenge because I need to exercise them. The ones that are the struggle for me are the ones that I need to work out the most. The ones that I have the most difficulty with are the ones that are in the need of the most attention. And so when we look at our life and the characteristics of our life, there's some people, you love everybody. You smile at everybody, you hug it. You know the people in your church who are like that. They're just loving to everybody. It's even if the devil himself came in, they would give him a happy Sabbath and a hug. So loving people ain't their issue. That's not what they need. But maybe they need to increase their faith in God. Maybe they need a trial in their life to help them know that they can be dependent on him. Maybe there's something, maybe your issue has nothing to do with patience. You might be a very patient person. But maybe you're not someone who keeps your promises. And so God has to put you in a place where you have to be committed to something where you have to cultivate faithfulness. And the most difficult things in our lives, the things that are the trials for our lives, are the ones that cultivate parts of our spiritual lives that need the most exercise. And so when we come to a point where we have those challenges, we can't say, you know what? I'm walking away. This is my time to give up. This is the time to persevere and move on and say, God, you're going to have to get me through this because I don't have the strength to get through it on my own. Because let me tell you, the first day I did that ab thing, like I said, whatever. We, we just count that as a wash. That was a trial run. But now I, don't do, I still can't keep up with the people on the thing. I ain't going to say that I'm all like, you know, I'm not going to come out with my own exercise video or nothing like that. But I know that what I can do now, I couldn't do when I first started. I couldn't do last week. I couldn't do the week before, but I kept persevering, and I kept enduring, and I kept on, and hopefully, by the end of the 90 days, I'll be able to do a little something, something more than I did before. But the fact of the matter is that you have to continue to press through, and remember that you're not doing it on your own. Because if I believe that I have to get through these trials on my own, then I am a hopeless case. But because I have someone else, I have the God of heaven who says that I promise, I'm going to promise to perfect and complete these things in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it through to completion. And if he says that he will complete it, then I can believe it. And I don't have to worry about, am I going to get through this? 
because I know at the end, I will have gotten something that God has blessed me with. And because the last thing that I want us to know, this is the last thing on your sheet, is that we need to learn to recognize the gift. Recognize the gift. Recognize the gift of what God is trying to show you, what God is trying to teach you, the reason why he brought you to the place where he's brought you to, the reason why he has allowed the trial that you are facing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we look at the story of the children of Israel in the Exodus. And Jesus and God tells them about their trials that they went through in the wilderness, and he talks to them about the reason behind the trials. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting at verse 12. We're going to read for um, several verses here, so I need you to stay with me. It says, God told them, You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you that to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that God, your Lord, was teaching you just as a man teaches or disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of waters, of fountains and springs, flowing forth with valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of figs and vines and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, where you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can deal copper. When you have eaten and you are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord, for the good land is that which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and you are satisfied and you have built good houses and you've lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiplies and all that you have multiplies, then your heart would become proud and you would forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions. He led you through a thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought you out water out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you with manna, which your fathers did, did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you might say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, and it is he that will confirm his covenant, which he swore to you and your fathers as it is this day. He said, I brought the children of Israel through a whole lot of mess. 
They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were tired. They was all kinds of dirty. I mean, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. But even in spite of all that, God said, this is for a reason. You're going to get to the promised land, and the promised land is real good. Promised land got milk, got honey, got manna, got all this kind of stuff. He named all this stuff, got copper and iron just right out the rock. Don't even have to dig for it. You have a land where you can have your herds multiply, and you'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams. You'll be satisfied. But if I let you just skip to the end, Pass everything else. Go straight to go. Collect your $200. If I let you do just the blessing part and not have you go through the trial part, when you get to the blessing part, you're going to be a little confused. You're going to think that you did it. You're going to think that it was on your own. You're going to think that you were the one who blessed yourself to have everything that you have. But he says, I want you to understand that you ain't do that. Even when you get something, I'm the one who gives you the ability to get something. And he says, I need to cultivate that faithfulness in you through the trial. I need to help you understand that you are dependent on me, and that only comes through the trial. If you don't go through something, if there ain't never no rain in your life, then you forget that you weren't the one who went around watering the ground on your own. It was God who did it. And when you have the trial, he says, I did this so that you understand that I'm the one who helps you. I'm the one that you, so that you know that you can depend on me. I'm the one who lets you some days have a rumbling tummy so that you understand that Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of my mouth. He says, I want you to understand that it ain't the job that you have that's keeping the food on your table. It ain't the husband or the wife who has the good insurance plan that keeps you in good health. It ain't the clothes that you wear that make you into a great person. It's not the position or the education or the experiences or the opportunities or the connections or your opportunities that you created for yourself that has made you blessed. But it's only the things that are spoken from the mouth of God when he speaks blessings into your life because if you were only given sunshine, you would never get the experience and the blessing from the rain. And so today, I want to admonish us to do as James says and to count it all joy when we have the trials that we have, when we have the tribulations that we have, when we have the challenges and the obstacles, because it increases our faith, it helps to exercise our faith, it helps to complete us, and it helps us to understand that it ain't me, it ain't you, but it's him. This morning, as we close, 
I, I do want to um, help you guys see the blessing that somebody else had, um, even in a very difficult, trying time. And it's hard for us to fathom being thankful for a gift when it seems as if it hurts us. But when we recognize the gift, that's number four, recognizing the gift, we're able to appreciate what God has given to us. Imagine, if you will, a gift. I'd like for you to picture it in your mind. It's not too big, about the size of a golf ball. Envision what it looks like all wrapped up. And before I show you what's inside, I will tell you it's going to do incredible things for you. It will bring all of your family together. You will feel loved and appreciated like never before and reconnect with friends and acquaintances you haven't heard from in years. Adoration and admiration will overwhelm you. It will recalibrate what's most important in your life. It will redefine your sense of spirituality and faith. You'll have a new understanding and trust in your body. You'll have unsurpassed vitality and energy. You'll expand your vocabulary, meet new people, and you'll have a healthier lifestyle. And get this, you'll have an eight-week vacation of doing absolutely nothing. You'll eat countless gourmet meals. Flowers will arrive by the truckload. People will say to you, you look great. Have you had any work done? And you'll have a lifetime supply of good drugs. You'll be challenged, inspired, motivated, and humbled. Your life will have new meaning. Peace, health, serenity, happiness. Nirvana. The price, $55,000. And that's an incredible deal. By now, I know you're dying to know what it is and where you can get one. Does Amazon carry it? Does it have the Apple logo on it? Is there a waiting list? Not likely. This gift came to me about five months ago and looked more like this when it was all wrapped up. Not quite so pretty. And this. And then this. It was a rare gem, a brain tumor, hemangioblastoma, the gift that keeps on giving. And while I'm okay now, I wouldn't wish this gift for you. I'm not sure you'd want it, but I wouldn't change my experience. It profoundly altered my life in ways I didn't expect, in all the ways I just shared with you. So the next time you're faced is something that's unexpected, unwanted, and uncertain. Consider that it just may be a gift. Namaste. I don't know if any of you <clears throat> are going through something quite that dramatic, but everyone has their own trial. But in every trial, we're to count it all joy. We're to look and try to recognize what is the gift that God wants for me in this trial. 
how can this help me? How can this make me grow? And how can I make sure that I'm stayed on the rock? That's your desire, to stay on the rock. If you've said, God, I want to be a disciple, even if it means that some things aren't going to be what I would like them to be. If you said, God, I've counted the cost, and it, it's all right. I still am all in. Then I'm going to invite you to be a part of a recommitment prayer that I'm going to pray in a minute. There are many of us who might be tempted to turn away when things get rough. But thankfully, we have a God who says, I'm going to support you. I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to strengthen you. And I'm not going to let you fall. If your desire is to be a disciple, a true disciple, a real disciple, a disciple who will go all the way with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. God sees that hand. We see that hand. And I want everybody to look around. See these people? When they seem like they might have a weight on their shoulders, I want you to go to them. And I want you to pray with them. Pray with all of these people because you know what? I talked about the army. The one thing about the army, the one thing about the military is that they don't leave their people behind. When they're falling, when they're challenged, when they're hurt, when they're struggling, somebody comes and helps them out. And we're all in this together. We've all signed up. We've all recommitted to the, to the journey of being a disciple. So if we've all said that, then we all got to pray for one another that we'll be committed to that. On the bottom of your sheet, there is a few things that you can check off. It asks for your name, your information. If you say, you know what? I am having some difficulty in my life. I'm having a trial that I cannot necessarily figure out how to get through. I'm trying, but it's hard and you want to be counseled or have a pastoral visit, I'm going to invite you to check that, and I'll make sure that Pastor King gets these when she gets back. And you want someone, maybe you want one of the elders, or you want your pastor to come and to visit and to talk with you or your family, go ahead and check that. If you say, I'm interested in this journey, but I'm not entirely sure how to do it, and so I need the ability to study and understand more about this God who's calling me, to discipleship, I want you to check that. If you're saying that I want to follow God all the way and I want everybody to know about it and I'm ready right now to be a part of a baptism that publicly says that I'm in this all the way, I want you to check where it says I want to prepare for baptism. And if you are somebody who has already been baptized, you're already a member of this church, you've already been through all the lessons and you know the all those different things, and you, you've studied the text, 
but still right now the rain is beating against your house and you say, God, I need someone to help and intercede for me. I need some special prayer. I'm going to invite you to write your prayer request and just check that box as well. And at the end of the service, we'll make sure that I get those to collect them and I'll give them back to Pastor Kate. Um, actually, you have offering. So when your offering plate comes through, you can go ahead and put that in. Just fold it up and put it in. The treasurers aren't going to read it. They're just going to give it straight to me. And we're going to make sure that you're prayed for and that God seals that commitment to be a disciple. God, I pray that today we will recognize how you're leading in our lives. Not just the sunshiny days, but also in those stormy and cloudy days. Lord, I pray that we will be committed, that we will be solid, and that we will go with you all the way. Bless us today not to forget our commitment to you, not to go and have this word snatched from our heart, but I pray the blessing that it will yield fruit a hundredfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and will multiply to other people as well. We ask these things and we seal this commitment. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say, amen.